This is the Be God's Light podcast with Ben Greenbaum and Mark Elsesser. Here in 2024, we're diving into the Old Testament for a look at how God's been working from the very beginning of time and making some connections as we can to the rest of our faith. And today we turn to the story of a man named Joseph. Now, the, the narrative about Joseph is long. There's a lot of chapters in the Old Testament that relate to Joseph. It starts in Genesis 37 and doesn't end until Genesis 50. So there's a lot, and we're not covering all that in this podcast today. There were there are a couple sermons. One of them is about Joseph being sold by his brothers, and another one is the end of the story where he's the rescuer of his brothers. So we refer you to those. But today we're going to look at the topic of Joseph's up and down life, his movement from we call it from prison to palace, and to, to look at how he went on this roller coaster ride from where he was in his homeland to all the way where he ended up in Egypt. Now, uh, Joseph, again, he was the, the son of Jacob. We looked uh, a couple weeks ago at the story of Jacob, who was his, his mother's favorite. There's Isaac and Rebekah and became the favorite, and he got the birthright and the blessing from, from dad through some tricky ways. And now Jacob's the one who's carrying it forth, and he has a bunch of sons. He has 12 of them. And the story picks up at Genesis 37, verse 3. And by the way, Jacob's name has now been changed to Israel. And so you'll see it gone and go back and forth. Now Israel loved Joseph more than any of his other sons. You could probably just stop there and continue the discussions we've had before about you can see trouble coming. When there's, when there's 12 boys and it's clear to everybody, that you love one more than the other, there's there's going to be some tension in the house. Yeah, and one of the things, real quick, I love about, you know, people have this belief in understanding sometimes of, of Scripture that somehow or another all, all the, uh, the, the folks throughout the biblical narratives are somehow redeemed, which when people tell me things of that, you know, where they kind of picture— uh, scripture is kind of, you know, all rainbows and puppy dogs and everything is fleshed out. One of the, the beauties of scripture is that it is just blatantly honest about everybody. And so seeing these, you know, Joseph and, and, and Jacob, which are, you know, some of the, the, the Israelite patriarchs, the scripture portrays them exactly for who they are. Um, whether they're in, in their deception, in their sin, it is just blatantly honest uh, about everything. Doesn't try to redeem them um, unnecessarily, but it's just incredibly honest. And so as we're reading through the narrative as well, we see all sorts of craziness. We see, you know, that, that Israel has 12 sons by multiple women and remembering that this isn't uh, prescriptive this isn't what God had uh, desired for them. Um, it's just descriptive. It's just what it was. And so, as we read the uh, as we read through the passages, uh, you know, looking and seeing the honesty of of the Scripture itself, that there's no sense or want to redeem these characters, but just to present them as they are, which gives credence 
to the the historical truth of the the narrative itself and yeah, so that gives hope to us because we yeah. don't have to be these perfect righteous people in order to be loved and accepted and used by God for his purposes that people are people. And we're going to see that big time in this story. So pick it back up in verse three. Now Israel loved Joseph more than any of his other sons because he had been born to him in his old age and he made an ornate robe for Joseph. So the other guys wearing, you know, these old, I don't know, old regular clothes from JC Penny or I don't know what. And so he's got this fancy, fancy robe that he's wearing around. When his brothers saw that their father loved Joseph more than any of them, they hated him and could not speak a kind word to him. And just looking at the end of that chapter, when they were out in the field, it says, when the Midianite merchants came by, his brothers, Joseph's brothers, pulled Joseph up out of the cistern. They'd thrown him down in a cistern and sold him for 20 shekels, which is about a half a pound of silver, to the Ishmaelites who took him to Egypt. So the story's already got some tension involved there. You got these brothers, and they are done with the favorite. They're sick and tired of this guy who's loved the most, who's wearing the best clothes, who is just daddy's favorite, and they're, they want him gone, and they do it, and they sell him. They don't kill him. They sell him as a slave to go live in a foreign country far away from them. They think, we are, we're done with this guy. It's a, it's a rough spot for Joseph to be in because he's moved from being the favorite. And when you're a slave, you're not the favorite. You're not the favorite in the land, not the favorite in the country. So he goes from the, the top dog to the bottom of the heap instantly. And this become, this pattern becomes something we see over and over in Joseph's life, that right when things are going well, the bottom gets pulled out. Or when things seem hopeless, then he rises to the top again. Do you know people that have kind of lived their lives like that? Or you, like you see like that's up and down nature, the height of heights and the low of lows in, in their life, and and yet they make it through all those super highs and super lows. Yeah. And I, I think that probably all of us uh, have our own stories with those, those ups and downs of life and maybe not obviously as extreme as what Joseph experienced. Um, one of the beauties too, of, of the narrative of the Joseph narrative is you see how God used these things to refine Joseph's heart that through these trials and tribulations, how God drew him into deeper uh, relationship, um, because Joseph, as I know, will be explored in the, in the sermon, but was was a bit of a knucklehead um, with his brothers. You know, he he owned the fact that he was Daddy's favorite, and even how he engaged in relationship with them. And so, as he separated from them, as he faces his own trials, his own tribulations, seeing how God nurtures his heart into this man of just outright integrity and grace, and mercy, and, and love. And so that's one of the, the real beauties of, of the narrative itself. Yeah, so it is really a beautiful thing to see how that works. Uh, if, and so he's, a, he's the bottom of the heap. He's now a slave. He's being sold by the Ishmaelites, named after Uncle Ishmael, 
they're, they're being sold, sold by them to the Egyptians. So when they get down to Egypt, there's this guy named Potiphar. He's one of Pharaoh's officials, and he buys him. And the story's picked up in Genesis 39 now, Genesis 39, verse 3. When his master, that is Potiphar, saw that the Lord was with Joseph and that the Lord gave him success in everything he did, Joseph found favor in his master's eyes and became his attendant. Potiphar put him in charge of his household, and he entrusted to his care everything he owned. So here you go again. Like He was daddy's favorite. He gets sold into slavery. And he and then he becomes like this man that is so favored and so successful and so honorable that he gets put in charge of the entire household of one of the top officials in the land of Egypt. He's at the top until let's pick it up at verse six, chapter thirty nine, verse six. Now Joseph was well built and handsome. And after a while, his master's wife took notice of Joseph and said, come to bed with me. But he refused. With me in charge, he told her, my master does not concern himself with anything in the house. Everything he owns, he has entrusted to my care. No one is greater in this house than I am. He's aware of his status. My master has withheld nothing from me except you because you are his wife. How then could I do such a wicked thing and sin against God. So his response there is not one like, no, I'm not interested, or you're ugly, or anything like that. He's just saying, this would be wrong. And so he, he lives by integrity, even though someone is offering him something that might have been enticing to him. We, we don't know for sure, but it's, his reasoning is not that he wasn't interested. His reasoning he gives is, it would just be wrong. It would be, it would be wicked. It would be against God. It would be against the the man who's my master, and I won't do it. Man, man there's a lot to say about integrity in life. A person doesn't go through life without options, options that are that are good and godly, and options that are not good and they're ungodly. And when those options present themselves, and nobody else is looking. We have, we have a decision to make with our lives. Like, are, who are we going to be when no one's looking? What kind of person are we going to be when no one's paying attention? And somebody's flattering us and saying, "Hey, you're well built. You're handsome. You know, I want you," or whatever the thing might be. Integrity matters. Yeah, integrity matters, and I think along with our integrity is that it needs to be rooted in. God's word. And so we need that objective truth that stands outside of us to be a corrective to our wayward hearts, um, to, to nurture us near to the heart of God, to where we're, as we entrust ourselves to God, we're allowing his word to serve as the, the light into the darkness of our own heart, to be the corrective, to be in some ways that guiding light uh, toward the integrity that, that God desires. The story picks up at verse 11. One day, Joseph went into the house to attend to his duties, and none of the household servants was inside, just, just him and his master's wife. She caught him by the cloak and said, come to bed with me. But he, he left his cloak in her hand and ran out of the house. So he's taken off, and she just grabs it, just pulls it off his, off his back. 
says in verse 16, she kept his cloak beside her until his master came home. Then she told him this story, the master, her husband, that Hebrew slave you brought us came to me to make sport of me. But as soon as I screamed for help, he left his cloak beside me and ran out of the house. So she's mad and she's getting even. When his master heard the story, his wife told him, saying, this is how your slave treated me. He burned with anger. Joseph's master took him and put him in prison, the place where the king's prisoners were confined. Again, the rug gets pulled out, and he goes to the bottom of the bottom. And he this time, for nothing wrong, he might have been a little bit braggadocious with his brothers. You know, here's my dreams and all those kind of things. But here he's just doing his job and doing it well and having integrity. There there are times in ministry, uh, Ben, that I know that folks have come to me and and, and said, you know, good job, you know, good sermon. It's normal for pastors. And you're doing a good job leading the church. There are other times, I'll have to say, when as those compliments are coming my way, there are folks in the church who have been very against me. And I've been the same person. They've heard the same sermons. I've been the same leader. I've provided the same care uh, on and on. And they were upset. There, there have been times when people wanted to um, have me gone in, in ministry over, over my nearly four decades that I've been in, in ministry. And so I guess I want to say this, that integrity doesn't guarantee results. It doesn't guarantee that everything will go our way. Sometimes it does. Sometimes it doesn't. And that doesn't mean that we should live our lives in any other way except having integrity in Christ and and being the person that we think God has called us to be. Does that mean I've been perfect as a as a man or as a husband or a father or a pastor? Uh uh-uh, uh, not even close. But I can say that the results that come to me are in terms of let's just talk about ministry for a moment for the exact same actions and leadership and and direction I've taken the churches and whatever over my years have very different results. And sometimes, you know, people wanted to sort of crown me and sometimes they wanted to crown me, you know, like <laughs> in the head. Um, and we, we just have to live our lives the right way regardless. You, you with me on that? Yeah, and it is. It's a matter of entrusting ourselves to God and letting the chips fall uh, where they may and recognizing that we live in an unjust society, an unjust world. There's going to be times when we face uh, false accusations uh, of, of all sorts of kinds. I, I know a, a dear sister in Christ um, who was a high school teacher, uh, now serves as a missionary, but was a high school teacher and was falsely accused by a student of an inappropriate relationship. Uh, you know, had her picture blasted all over the nightly news and guess what? She was innocent of all charges. And sadly, this is the nature of the world we live in. We live in this broken, fallen world where there are going to be times and moments where people guided by their own sin, guided by their own envy, guided by uh, you know, whatever it might be, uh, in Potiphar's wife, she's guided by the, the hurt of rejection of Joseph's rejection. And then she behaves unjustly 
uh, against him. And yet in all these moments, we're, we're called to, to faithfully follow after God's, uh, God's will and, and God's desire and give ourselves over to him, um, recognizing that our ultimate treasure, our ultimate goal in life is, is his glory um, and, and not even my good name. And so, uh, so yeah, there, there are going to be those moments when we, when we do, we face unjust criticisms or potentially even worse. And, uh, our job responding to those things out of the sufficiency of, of God's love is, uh, you know, I just think of in those moments, what I, for me, I think of Christ on the cross who as, as, uh, he's being mocked as he's being crucified uh, cries out to God, forgive them, Father, for they know not what they do. And I, I pray for God to nurture my heart in the same direction. Mm. That's really that's really a good word. So Joseph was his father's favorite, and that landed him in slavery. And he was Potter's, Potiphar's favorite, and that landed him in prison. So now he's in prison, and now he's at the bottom again. The king's prison. There's not a lot of escape from the king's prison. The story picks up in Genesis 39, verse 20. While Joseph was there in prison, the Lord was with him. He showed him kindness and granted him favor in the eyes of the prison warden. So the warden put Joseph in charge of all those held in prison, and he was made responsible for all that was done there. (laughs) The the prisoners running the prison. (laughs) So the warden paid no attention to anything under Joseph's care, because the Lord was with Joseph and gave him success in whatever he did. It, this guy's resilient. I mean, here he is, and I, he's thrown into slavery, now he's thrown into prison in this foreign country, and he's, he's risen to the top there. He's like, I'm not going to go to prison and be spitting on the guards and barking out against the, the people who, are, are, who put me here. He just says, okay, I'm in prison, so I'm going to make the best of it, I guess. And he has this life of integrity again. It's also by the favor of God. God showed him kindness. God granted him favor. I mean, God's working in his life still. But he's, he's there. He has success, and he rises to the top. And we're not going to have time to go through the full story, but there's two other guys in prison with him. One is the Pharaoh's chief cupbearer would bring him the the wine. One of them is the Pharaoh's chief baker would bring him food. And they were both in prison and they both had dreams. Joseph interpreted their dreams. He had interpreted his own dreams back in the day. So he's interpreting their dreams. And since God, God's the one that gave him the interpretation and it was, it worked out well for the chief cupbearer. And the dream said, Hey, you, the interpretation you'll get restored. And he did. The chief baker, he said, I, I got bad news for you, buddy. You're, you're going to, um, it's not going to go well for you on this, uh, with this dream. And it didn't. And that story's picked up in Genesis chapter 40, verse 20. Now the third day was Pharaoh's birthday, and he gave a feast for all his officials. He lifted up the heads of the chief cupbearer, who had the good interpretation, and the chief baker, who got the bad interpretation of his dream. He restored the chief cupbearer to his position so that he once again put the cup into Pharaoh's hand, but he impaled the chief baker, just as Joseph had said to them 
in his interpretation. And here's the big line. Verse 23, chapter 40, verse 23. The chief cupbearer, however, did not remember Joseph. He forgot him. And the very next verses, actually it's chapter 41, but it's written as one story, when two full years had passed. So here he is, and he, he's, he's minding his business. He's got favor in prison. He's running the prison. He gives accurate interpretations. He says, whatever you do, remember me. And for two years, he's forgotten. I, I sometimes want to buzz through this story and think it kind of happens like very quickly, but it's two years he's rotting away in prison. Not rotting away, he's kind of helping to run the prison, but he's still in prison. I mean, at the end of the day, he can't escape. He can't leave. He's in a dungeon. He's in prison. And it's two years. Again, I mean, like, he does the right thing, but he doesn't get the immediate right results. Yeah, yeah. And yet, one of the things I I think is a a teaching uh, that comes out of this is that while the cupbearer forgets him, God has not forgotten him. That's good. And and that's what we see again uh, throughout this story. And I think it was the thing that continued to motivate Joseph, uh, to keep Joseph, um, to to create and nurture uh, in many ways this life of perseverance is that that Joseph readily knew and understood and believed that God was with him in in all of these matters. So two years passed and all that kind of deal. I mean, Joseph hopefully is holding on to. To God, just like you said, two years have passed, and Pharaoh himself has a dream, a couple of dreams, and we won't go through all of those. It's in Genesis chapter 41, one of them is about seven cows, and the other one's about seven heads of grain, and so he has these dreams and is trying to figure them out. There's seven, seven good cows and seven ugly cows, and, and the ugly ones eat the good ones, and the same thing with you know, seven good heads of grain and seven bad heads of grain. And so he's trying to understand this, and he calls in all these sorcerers and other people, and nobody would dare to interpret Pharaoh's dream because if you get it wrong, you know you pay for it with your life. And so finally down in Genesis 41, verse 14, it says, So Pharaoh, Pharaoh, I'm sorry, Pharaoh sent for Joseph, and he was quickly brought from the dungeon. When he had shaved, yeah, you, yeah, he's got two years of beard in him. When he had shaved and changed his clothes, he came before Pharaoh. Pharaoh said to Joseph, I had a dream and no one can interpret it. But I have heard it said of you that when you hear a dream, you can interpret it. And here's an amazing response to me. Verse 16, I cannot do it but God will give Pharaoh the answer he desires. That's a pretty good response to have that confidence that not only to say, not only to defer and say, God's going to be the one that does it, but to say, I trust God's going to give me that right now, even before I hear what your dreams were. I'm, I'm trusting God because he's going to do that in my life. Yeah. And you see that, I mean, it's the byproduct of this humility that Joseph has, that God has nurtured into Joseph's life and that, um, that Joseph is displaying, you know, with the, the cupbearer and the baker in prison, Joseph, the, the visions, he, uh, his interpretation of the visions had come from God. That's how Joseph understood it. And now as he's uh, facing Pharaoh, 
he believes the same. He he believes that God is going to give clarity uh, to him uh, to allow him to interpret um, Pharaoh's visions, and in that, Joseph is giving God all the glory. And uh, it's it's a reminder to us that how, how do we live in that kind of confidence that we say I I believe God's going to do this I, I I'm trusting God and here goes I think part of it it's it's learned and it's learned as we abide in Christ as we walk with Christ uh, in life and so if we're not abiding in Christ this uh, learned humility uh, this learned response is not going to be an, an active character uh, or, or piece of, of our life. And so that's where we see with Joseph, this constant abiding in his relationship with God has yielded this character uh, in his life. It has nurtured his heart to where Joseph, again, is, is living for God's glory, which is our chief end. Our chief end is to glorify God and enjoy him forever this is what the life that we're called to. And if we look at Joseph's life and we see, man, this, this character, the, the character that we see, uh, the humility that we see, um, just kind of flowing out of, of Joseph's life, uh, recognizing that that should not be unique to Joseph, that this humility should be a byproduct, uh, for us all that, that comes through that, that relationship that we have with God. That's really, that's really well said. So Joseph um, hears the dreams of Pharaoh. Pharaoh tells his dreams. Joseph interprets those dreams and and basically says there's going to be seven years where the crops are great. It's followed by seven years of famine. And so you need to, you need to like prepare for this so that you can keep your people from starvation and then make a profit when the rest of the world's like starving, they'll come to you and buy up the grain in that time. And in verse 39, Genesis 41, 39 Pharaoh said to Joseph, since God has made all this known to you, there is no one so discerning and wise as you. You shall be in charge of my palace, and all my people are to submit to your orders. Only with respect to the throne will I be greater than you. Wow. Talk like he's in prison, and now he's number two. He's, he's, he's like... The vice pharaoh, uh, he, he's he's the man in Egypt, and he's going to run the country in the, for the next fourteen years during the the plenty, and then during the famine. For the it's it's a declaration for the next fourteen years. Other than myself, Pharaoh says you're in charge. And it's it's this it's this talk about the ups and downs through this man's life. Yet here he is again, recognizing. God submitting himself to God and in the middle of it God gives him this great great favor. Again, we're going we're going to look in in one of the sermons related to this the upshot of that and how when he has this favor the brothers come because they're having famine back in, in the land of Canaan and they they come and they're looking for food and and basically he saves his family. He he saves his brothers and he he saves his father from starvation, and he provides a home for them, and all these things come out of that. So this, this young man who had had all these dreams and visions and saw everyone bowing down to him, it ends up being true. He might not have gone about it all the right way early on, but through the severe ups and downs, the bottom and the top, 
God worked this out for, for his glory and for the salvation of all the people. What, what's your thought on all that? Yeah, seeing God's sovereign hand uh, move and, and seeing as, a, as a Joseph's life, again, nurtured near to the heart of God, just his resilience, his perseverance, his, you know, whether he's in the dungeon or he's in the palace, he is content in where God has him, having entrusted himself to God. And it reminds me, Joseph's actions in many a ways remind me of Paul's words um, when he's writing uh, from jail to the, the church in Philippi. And he just, he says, I've learned to be content. Whatever the circumstances, I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. I've learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. And he attributes that contentment to God, where he says, I can do everything through him who gives me strength. And we see that same disposition uh, in Joseph's life, that as he is is walking through life, um, he is constantly uh, giving himself over to God and entrusting his life to him. That's that's really well put. So, but the upshot of the story to me is that one day, Ben, you might be bishop. <laughs> that's funny. Are you saying I'm in prison now? <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, I'm saying I'm saying once you actually get ordained. Uh, <laughs> Then, uh, then you never know oh, what, what's cute. in front of you. Yeah. You never know what's in front of you. You know, we, we don't live our lives based upon the status or whatever else that's, that's coming our way. We just, we have to live it. I, I take from this, the big picture story is live with integrity yep. before God yep. and, and God is good. All right. We're going to, we're going to change gears next week. I mean, slightly, but we're going to go to the the next person in the story and that's Moses. And we're going to be with Moses a long time because four books of the Bible are about Moses and his life. So we'll start with that discussion next time and look, look at him and, and talk about him as this prince of Egypt that runs away from, from that status. And uh, he, he puts himself in a, in a place of, of uh, not being accepted and welcomed in the land of Egypt. So we'll, we'll take a look at that next time and hope you'll join us for that. And folks, if you want to jump in deeper to all these discussions in the Old Testament, you can go to our church's website, fishersumc.org, or find the church app and click on the Be God's Light link. And if you want to stay up to date with the Be God's Light podcast, we encourage you to like and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Until next time, God bless you all.